Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, what happens when development clashes with nature? On the northern outskirts of Auckland's North Shore, the suburb of Albany is the story of the city's rapid development. In 25 years, it has changed from lifestyle blocks and abundant native bush to a mini-city with a stadium, university and huge shopping mall. Houses and apartments crowd the town centre, but reserves filled with big old trees are precious reminders of its past. At one of these reserves, called Albany Heights, a crime has taken place. It is just one of thousands of cases of environmental vandalism around Auckland. The New Zealand Herald's property editor, Anne Gibson, takes up the story of Earthworks contractor Tao Ma, who's been convicted and fined thousands of dollars, not once, but twice. It was a district court decision, and um, it came out in November, and Tao Ma's former company is called Mender Construction. That's from Silverdale, and that's an earthworks business. So um, what happened is he told a council officer that he basically makes money uh, from from disposing of soil and fill. So he tips that on properties. And um, it was a decision um, from Judge Dickey, and it was a prosecution that was brought by Auckland Council against he and his company. He makes money from disposing of soil. Yes. How, so that his business is to what? Dig up soil prepare, to prepare a place for development? Well, he does have a digger, and he was operating that at the time that the council compliance officer interviewed him. But also what contractors like this do is they go to construction sites. They win a contract. Mender Construction says it's a reliable aggregate supplier and clean fill tip yard. So um, what he did is he got a contract taking fill from sites or a site and then he brought it to an Albany Heights property. Now the issue with Albany Heights it's a significant ecological area so it's quite hilly up behind the Albany Township and it's got a lot of native bush around there. Now people have built houses over the years obviously but Auckland Council has got overlays that seek to protect that native bush so they don't want the trees to go, they don't want the streams and rivers there polluted and they don't want um, you know, dumping of material totally illegal, for example that has asbestos in it which is what happened in this case as well. He took material there from another place? Yes. And dumped it? Yes. On the site, right next to the bush, and it spilled over into the bush. Is that what happened? Um, what happened is he cleared part of a residential site. It was a site owned by Annie Lee, mm. and he had consent and to to do works on that site. He said, well, she said that uh, he was actually helping her out. She had some problem with her property. So he went there and he cleared part of an area, and it's estimated that about 100 trees were cleared. Um and in that, the, the topsoil was removed. And what happens then is the clay is exposed. And then there was some quite severe weather. So this happened in 2020 and 2021. And when there was quite severe weather, the clay on the top started to slip and move. 
and it was a big wide area of clay that came off that property down a hill and actually I think it was about 100 metres wide and it went through a boundary fence so that's what occurred so there was not only the tipping of material from other sites which was aggregate and asbestos and chip and other things and it would have undoubtedly been from a demolition site you know from a construction site Um, but um, obviously there was this um, big slip that occurred as well. So that that material that he dumped there, that would normally go to the dump? Yes, he said that what he does is um, normally the, um, the, the, the fill or material that he's getting would go to enviro-based or waste management. Then you'd have to pay a fee, you see, it's like hundreds of dollars per truckload. Mm. And so he struck this contract with Annie Lee and the material was being dumped on her property. Now, obviously he wouldn't have got a resource consent to do that because council wouldn't have allowed that. This sort of material with these sorts of um, problems in them needs to go to uh, a proper area, a tip, a dump that's designated for that. But he decided, um, he was working on this land, he decided to use that as a dumping site as well. Now, she, she told council compliance officers that or an officer, that she had asked him to stop, but that he had carried on. Mm. Um, it's a very unusual situation. Hard, hard to know really what happened here. And a lot of damage, you know, the special bush that that he damaged in the process. Yes, a significant ecological area. And it, even worse, it was beside a big reserve. So I think it's called the Albany Heights Reserve. So that's an even more special area of land that's set aside and, um, you know, the material went in there as well. And so it was quite serious offending in terms of the environment and not insignificant earthworks. Now, if you do more than, I think, five square metres of earthworks, you need a resource consent. He didn't apply for any of that. Obviously, the council wouldn't have given him consent to do mm. what he did. Um, so that's why it was a serious case. And um, in the court, when, when uh, the judge heard it in the Auckland District Court, uh, the judge was saying that there were photographs which showed the extent of the environmental damage that had occurred on the site that he was working on at Albany Heights. Who saw it? Because, you know, you can imagine some of these developments or, you know, these building sites, there's, yeah. there's nobody around, is there? Exactly, and especially if there's bush and it's down along driveway and it's hilly area. and So it was actually the neighbours who saw what was going on and one of them was being affected because they complained that the clay was slipping. And um, so for a start off, one complained about how around 100 trees were cleared from that site. Another one about the clay flowing across the boundary fence. And then when the council officer went to investigate, they looked at the material that was being dumped on the site and they found that was full of clay, gravel, chips and asbestos. So there were three sort of actions there that occurred, three ways of looking at it, but that's exactly right. Unless someone complains, unless someone blows the whistle, how was anyone to know what was really occurring there and the terrible effects that it had on the environment? Mm. So what was the upshot? What what happened? It went to the Environment Court. Auckland Council took the case, took him to the Environment no, Court? No, actually, sometimes these cases are heard in the Environment Court. This one went to the Auckland District Court. And um, it was offences under the Resource Management Act and breaches of the Auckland Unitary Plan. So that was what the prosecution was based on. 
Now, the compliance officers had all the documents, all the photographs. They went to court and um, they actually sought a fine um, of around about, I think, more than $50,000. In the end, the fine was about $34,000. So that's what happened. Tauma is a repeat offender. He and two others were fined tens of thousands of dollars in the Environment Court in May 2020 for breaches of the Resource Management Act for another job on the North Shore. As Anne Gibson says, one of the really surprising things about the Albany Heights case is that Ma told the council he thought it was up to the property owner to decide about what happened on their property, not the council. But just listen to this. Such a bizarre story. I could not believe it. Um, as it turned out, it wasn't Danny on the digger, but Tal Ma pretending to be Danny. Quite astonishing. So this is um, the person who was prosecuted was actually lying about his true identity. So the judge said his conduct was deceptive, and that was an aggravating feature in the offences that he committed. So when he was being sentenced, the judge pointed out that enforcement officers at Auckland Council need to be able to rely on information that they're given when they visit sites. And Ma was an experienced contractor and he actively misled them. Now, he he had sort of a reason for doing that. He already had another conviction under the Resource Management Act and that had occurred in 2020 when there were illegal works um, by he and others, including his company, that had occurred... Um, and he told the council he didn't want another conviction, so he knew that as soon as the compliance officer visited him at that Albany Heights site, he didn't have consent, he was doing illegal works, and instead of admitting his true identity, he pretended to be someone who is real, one of his colleagues called Danny Hu, of DDI Cartage. Now, Danny was the operations manager, and he and so what Talmar did is pretend to be Danny, and um, Ma admitted operating the digger on that site and um, he admitted giving Who's name and DDI cartage when the officer directed him to stop work. So it's another aggravating feature of this type of offending to not be truthful about who you are. And how is a council compliance officer meant to know? Is he still operating now? Um, he's not barred from operating. So he and his company... Um, that's not part of the uh, outcome, the sentencing in this case. He's not stopped from working, but he did have to pay a $34,000 fine for what he did. And, of course, the site has to be remediated. And so a resource consent application has to be made to get rid of that material. And um, I, I hate to think what they do about all that clay. Does he have to remediate the site? Is that no, part of the... No, that wasn't part of the sentencing. But um, his lawyer did say that he felt remorse for what he'd done. And he was fined that amount. So, you know, the, the, the fine in these cases can be up to $600,000 and two years in prison. Uh, so I guess what we say with the $34,000 fine is the judge found this somewhat at the lower end of offending. But the judge certainly made mention of the um, misleading and deceptive conduct that he showed when he was approached on the digger at the site. This is one case, though. 
Auckland Council is cracking down on property developers issuing fines to those polluting waterways and leaving rubbish. One street in East Auckland was targeted today, with 13 of the 15 building sites failing to meet environmental standards. On this street, that building is wreaking havoc with our waterways. Clay, cement and other sediments streaming off these sites, clogging up the stormwater system and polluting waterways. And you sent me some really interesting information. It's, it's councils, Auckland Council's Close the Gap initiative. But you know what I found quite astounding about mm. that is how widespread these problems are in terms of construction sites. Yeah. It's really it's a really serious issue and I spoke to the ecologist and photographer Philip Mole about this and what he said is when there's inadequate erosion control or sediment control what happens is you get overflows into the stormwater system and then overflows into streams. Now what Ma did as well meant that there were downstream literally effects into a stream and then into a river and then into the Hauraki Gulf. So the effect of this offending means that you get sediment is actually quite awful when it comes to shorebirds and fish and the environment. What it does is it it coats the land and the tidal area and estuaries and areas where there are mangroves with this material that means that it's difficult, if not impossible, for the fish and the birds and the others to survive and to feed. And we know it's not just an Auckland problem. Runoff from the huge transmission gully roading project north of Wellington is contributing to a massive build-up of sludge in Porirua Harbour that's suffocating wildlife. When we have a big rainfall event and a whole slug of sediment enters the harbour, it, it basically deposits and smothers everything. We've absolutely got to change the way that we do our urban development so much more that now needs to be done to make up for the mistakes made in the past. So with Philip Mole, for example, he um, photographs the godlets that come back from Siberia on the North Shore. And he's really afraid that all the development that's occurring in the area that he lives in means that uh, sediment is flowing into those bays around um, the North Shore. And it means that those godwits who've done this incredible journey from the Northern Hemisphere down here that rely on these feeding grounds, that those feeding grounds are now being compromised. And obviously Auckland Council's making huge efforts to you know, keep an eye on it and make sure that there is some compliance. But clearly, it's such a huge problem. In that same um, press release that the council sent out, it said, OK, recent statistics show 51% of residential construction sites are still lacking a appropriate erosion control. But it's an improvement of a figure of 90% mm. prior to last year when they launched this initiative. 90%. Yeah, I know. And I went with Phil Goff when he was Auckland Mayor down to South Auckland and we walked around sites where there were big problems and the things that we saw were sites that were littered with rubbish. You know, just um, people had thrown, I don't know, tubes from silicon on the ground. They'd thrown their food and coffee cups and bits of metal and... You haven't got a tidy site, so they think yeah. it's a good place to dump rubbish. Same with sand. See, where's that sand going to go when it rains? It's all very well for us in the cities to tell the farmers stop putting sediment into the harbours, but we have got to we've got to walk the talk ourselves. So we have uh, launched a crackdown. The crackdown's to make sure that. 
builders and developers are meeting the proper environmental standards set out in the Resource Management Act. What we know and what we've seen today is that there is huge non-compliance and that means that the dirt and the cement and the rubbish is finding its way down, down the drains, uh, into the creeks and, and into our harbours. You just couldn't believe it. Now, what happens is, um, you know, the rain's coming off that site, going into the stormwater system. Not only that, but they didn't have adequate protection barriers to stop the sediment getting off the site. So when they uncover it, they take the topsoil off and they're down to the clay. When the water washes over that from the rainfall, it's going straight into the stormwater system. So they're meant to have proper mesh barriers that control that. And the council says it's encouraging people. If you see, you know, pollution or sediment coming coming off a construction site, let us know, because let's face it, the council with a multi-million dollar hole, they can only do so much. Mm. This is your area, you know, development, mm. building, construction. Do you talk to the developers? What, what do you hear from the, the leaders in that sector? Yeah, the developers that I deal with are often, <laughs> I have to sit with the more professional end and often the bigger end, you know, commercial. And look, I do talk to the group house builders as well. Um, they regard this as a serious issue. But um, when I look back at some of the prosecutions that have gone through the district court, you know, discharging concrete into a creek on a site in Torbay, and that creek had, I think, up to 50 years living in there, and many of those died when that happened because the acidity level completely changed in the water. And then early November, um, so another big thing is the dairy effluent, you know, in the agricultural area, and dairy effluent flowing overland into a stream in the Bay of Plenty. So that was a Bay of Plenty regional council that prosecuted. So these cases are coming up in a, in a very regular way with mm. the territorial authorities, and I notice that there is extremely active prosecution. Is there any talk about um, whether this is enough, the, the prosecution, the penalties? Is it, is it enough to stop this kind of activity? Well, how do you stop people offending? How do you stop people damaging the environment and being responsible? You know, I find it um, heartening that, like in my area on the North Shore, there's a wonderful ecological organisation, they're like Gorilla Warriors, and it's going on all around New Zealand, um, restoring Takaranga Hauraki is a wonderful organisation that's taking seed from the native plants in that area and has got a massive nursery, growing the seeds, planting them out, you know, dozens of people involved so I see the other side of it as well and Tangata Whenua, the way for example Ngāti Whātua Oraki is, um, they've got a huge nursery too at Takaparawha and they are also growing seeds from plants in the area and I'm really heartened to see the flourishing of the whao tree which um, is beautiful, it's a corkwood tree and Mangawha, Mount Eden takes its name from the whao tree and to see that flourishing all over Auckland and I know that, that these Gorilla warrior ecologists are responsible for raising the seeds and then the trees and their nurseries. And I find that really heartening, but I also find it quite depressing when you know you ask me to look back at the number of cases in the district court. So there's prosecutions occurring there and the environment court, as you said, as well. And to see that occurring is deeply depressing. Does it get the coverage that it deserves? Well, that's the other thing. I notice sometimes regionally, like a Bay of Plenty one, uh, a company that had illegally taken a lot of water for kiwifruit irrigation, that that had been covered. But 
Um, there's only so many hours in the day, right? I have to say uh, the fund that, of course, Winston Peters has been complaining about the $55 million fund from the government does fund an open justice initiative that means there's a lot more court reporting going on. And that's such an important arm of our democracy to see justice being done, you know, to see these prosecutions occurring. That's a good thing. Um, but I do see that there's not a lot of reporting. Certainly when I looked at these cases, not everyone had been picked up. No, because you're what you're having a little dig around, aren't you? You're, you're used to sort of saying, okay, district, there's some decisions here from the district court. Is that, what, is that how you... I've got a portal. I've got a drop box. I've been allowed into an area that maybe a lot of other journalists are not allowed into, and I can see what's occurring in the environmental prosecution area. So you ha- you're regularly having a look at that and seeing what's going on. Yes, I found the Dropbox on my... Um, I looked at it the other day and I just couldn't believe how much there was and that's how I picked up this prosecution of Talmar. Talking about what's going on outside of Auckland, Bay of Plenty Regional Council, we know that there's a bit of a kiwi fruit boom going on there, but that sort of feeds into illegal activity. You, you've picked up... Uh, what a case or two about some kiwifruit companies taking water illegally. What what is what is even taking water illegally? Yeah, tapping into the aquifer, going into the groundwater without a proper consent to do so. So there has to be controls on that. Otherwise, you know, the aquifer is going to fall. And others who do have legal consent to go ahead and take groundwater, artesian water won't be able to get access to it. So uh, last month it was reported that a kiwi fruit orchard was convicted and fined $35,000 in the Tauranga um, District Court. So they took more than 18 million litres of water for irrigation illegally. And um, they pleaded guilty to a charge of unlawfully doing that between uh, late 21 and early 2023. And also there are other cases of kiwi fruit orchards and growers in the Bay of Plenty doing this and taking millions of litres of groundwater to irrigate without consents. And again, is it a case of if nobody sees it, uh, it's not picked up? Yeah, well, what often happens, what I see particularly with um, construction, is that there have to be regular inspections by territorial authority officers, and when those occur, they can pick up illegal activity. They can see what's really going on because they're allowed onto the site. They have to inspect it. They have to look at, um, you know, building consent has been applied for, or resource consent, and so they're ensuring compliance with that, that's when it's picked up. But as you said as well, you know, sometimes it can be neighbours, sometimes it can be people seeing it, but you do have to wonder Mm. how much of it is being picked up. And is this kind of related to, because they're taking water, is it related to the whole environmental thing where all of this is damaging to the envi- to the natural environment. Well, certainly, you know, what a taonga, the, the, the water under the land. And I mean, um, I grew up on a South Canterbury farm where we took um, water from, from the rivers, but we also had our own well on the farm with a pump many metres down on a little shingle floor. It wasn't like a well where you looked down and saw the water, but we were uh, taking water for the house from the aquifer beneath the ground. So the Canterbury Plains has got really extensive of areas of that and obviously so so is the Bay of Plenty.
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Anne Gibson. Kakite.